Welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 46. We are covering the 2018 Safeway Open on the PGA Tour and the Alfred Dunhill Lynx Championship on the European Tour. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. I'm Steve Bamford, PGA Tour Previewer at Golf Betting System. And with me, we have European Tour expert Paul Williams and resident podcast pundit Barry O'Hanrahan. Good evening, chaps. Evening, chaps. Evening, boys. Golfbankingsystem.co.uk is our website. You can reach us on Twitter at Bamford Golf, that's me. At Golf Betting, that's Paul. At A Good Talk Golf, that's Barry. We're available on Podbean, iTunes, TuneIn for Android, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Podtail. Naturally, subscribe, follow the podcast, and spread the word. Please take time to rate and review us on iTunes. And all of this helps to keep our weekly content free across the website, YouTube, and of course this podcast. Now I'm going to mention YouTube actually. Um, I'm on a crusade on YouTube, my golf betting show, which I'll be recording tomorrow morning. Uh, each and every PGA Tour European Tour event, we do a YouTube video or YouTube program, the golf betting show. I want 2,000 subscribers by the end of of November and we're getting quite close so if you can go to YouTube and uh, watch the videos like them and subscribe that would be absolutely fantastic right evening lads we better talk Ryder Cup um, yeah. where are we at with it I suppose Team Europe they overturned the favouritism of the Americans pre-event although there was a hell of a lot of money going on Europe pre-event what what were your takeouts of the uh, twenty eighteen Ryder Cup? Who wants to start? Cracking tournament, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's no, it's never a big betting tournament for me. I must say, so I didn't really get involved other than a couple of uh, combined uh, point score bets, which went horribly down the pan. But um... <laughs> that's what we say every year, isn't it? Whoever we back, it's just a, it's just a tale yeah. of tale of. Bad bad losses on the World yeah, Cup. We obviously profiled the uh, the players last week, and um, you know, I, I know you you picked out uh, Tommy Fleetwood as one of your uh, combined uh, point scorer players, and we talked about uh, how well the course had fit someone like Molinari. But I'm, I'm not sure um, any of the three of us really um, expected to see what was. Ultimately, a landslide for Europe. A fantastic performance on a course that clearly uh, was set up and suited the uh, European style uh, far better. But uh, on top of that, the, the boys just played some fantastic golf, didn't they? Thoroughly deserved and, um, yeah, really enjoyed it. I think in terms of the captaincy, it was a masterclass from Bjorn. And, you know, we had our doubts beforehand, you know, the Sergio debate, playing, you know, picking players that looked either injured or out of form. But what he did with that course and the way it was set up and the way that the spectators were kept away from the fairways so that when players missed those fairways, it was serious trouble. That, you know, that was genius, really. And the way that he had that, a plan, he kept, kept to that plan and the players responded to that plan was definitely you know the difference between the two sides and you could tell with few and this came down Paul to what you said towards the end of last week's podcast you could tell with Furyk he was always under pressure to pick players just because he had to 
You know, yeah. so you know, a prime example of that was Mickelson on the Friday afternoon in four balls, and you're thinking Mickelson in a four ball, and and the way he, uh, you know he used um, Reed, who's been hitting the ball so so badly over the last month or two, and you know he he, he used him steadfastly with Tiger in that in that. Um, did he use him in the? He did. He used him on Friday morning, didn't he? Reed, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, they of... were the only guys to lose, weren't they? Yeah, Woods. Mickelson, you know, when he was announcing the foursomes, um, both Friday and Saturday, it was uh, kind of scratching your head time, wasn't it? But um, yeah, it, they, they'd like to try and even it out so everyone's getting a, a, a good part of the, uh, you know, a, a good chunk of the action, aren't they? And so, you know, um, DJ ended up with five matches, Spieth and Thomas, but everyone else was getting threes and fours, weren't they? So um, it's... Uh, yeah, it didn't quite work for Jim, did it? Didn't quite work for him at all. What do you think, Barry? I just, as I said to you guys, uh, it's kind of texting beforehand. I wish we had had that little bit extra knowledge on the on the course and how it was set up before the event. It would have helped an awful lot more, I think, in terms of predictions. Um, both for you know things like fairway width. Um, the, the rough being mowed back towards the tees. I mean, we might have picked up snippets of these, but maybe we just didn't put the picture, the full picture together. Uh, the width of the fairways. These things all contributed very strongly towards the um, the Europeans being uh, getting a, a very big home course advantage. How did how did that um, course vary from a French Open? The, the rough was. I mean, we could see it on the on the screens, couldn't we? The rough was brutal, wasn't it? And some of the some of the places it was, you know. It was US Open style, wasn't it? Yeah, and the thing is, you could like just just to mention the rough. Like during the summer, it'll be it'll be high, but it'll be the rough will be dry in general, and especially this summer when it was really really hot in um, in this part of Europe. So getting the ball out of you know high but dry rough is a little bit easier than it is getting it out of that, which looked so lush. I mean, just yeah, really clingy, thick, wasn't it? lush green. Um, and you could see the effort the guys were all both teams were going to to get the ball out of it um, to try get it up towards the green. I, I just thought it was brilliant. I mean, there were birdies available if you hit the ball really well. And uh, I mean, Bjorn's philosophy, you know, seemed to be that sometimes par is a really good score, and if if you win a hole with par, that's fine. Um, it doesn't. You know, holes didn't have to be won with birdies, which is what we see when you go across the Atlantic to play Ryder Cups over there. They expect birdies to win holes and not pars to win holes. But this was uh, this played to to our strengths, or or maybe played against their weaknesses, which was accuracy off the yeah. tee. Uh, if you look, if you looked at the breakdown of accuracy off the tee for both teams, there were. You know there were percentage, you know, multiple point percentage advantages throughout the entire uh, 12, te- 12 guys on both teams, and it really, you know, those margins uh, paid off in spades. You know, add those margins, which would probably give you maybe a couple of points. We got momentum as well, and that added up to a really resounding seven point victory. I mean, if you go back a few weeks, we were talking about how um, the home captain can choose to set up the track to. Kind of appeal more to his players, and we, to a degree, we kind of looked at this and said, "Well, 
what Bjorn won't do is make it an absolute brutal test. And it, well, you know, no, we didn't think that he would be allowed to by the powers that be, saying, you know, oh, yeah, to be a proper Ryder Cup, it needs to be a total and utter birdie fest. And that was the ang. And there were various mm. tweets going out early last week about, oh, the rough isn't that bad. The rough isn't that bad. But what they failed to actually show you was that the three or three or four yards of rough they were showing just off the fairways wasn't too bad. It was what to, it was what to the the side of that which which was the major problem. Yeah. Plus, you got the the fact that you know the European players. Um, you know, notwithstanding that was the first time that Sergio played um, at the uh, uh, Open to France earlier this year. But between all of the players, they had something like I read the number; it was two hundred and twenty-three or something competitive rounds between them um, at uh, Le Golf National versus eight or something for the uh, for the American team. It was you know the the lack of preparation, the fact that only um, Thomas came over. Um, to play the French Open this year, and the rest of the team didn't have any practical experience of the course. They've turned up, they've seen it. It's a tricky course. We know it's a tricky course. It's a it's a very technical course. Mm. Whenever we get to this point in the year on the on the Open to France, we know it's one of those the more challenging tracks out there. Um, and I think it just caught them out. It just it, it just we, caught them out and we, we said back in July though that we were amazed that only Thomas came across for the for the Open de France on the basis yeah. that it was a particularly weak a, a particularly poor part of the schedule on the PGA Tour anyway. Mm-hmm. So you you know and this is this is a this is a common thing with the with the with the Americans they never take advantage of being able to come and get practical experience of a golf course beforehand they just think well. You know, we're we're such a skilled bunch. We're dominating in world rankings. We'll we'll just blow them away. But that you know that clearly isn't the case. Yep. I I actually think there is a kind of dangerous scenario occurring here because you've got a situation where both teams are clearly playing course set up to their strength, which is fine. But from a from a Ryder Cup perspective, you know, when we when we go out to Whistling Straits again in Wisconsin in two years' time, and we know what that course is like from the 28, 2010 PGA, the twenty fifteen yeah. PGA Championship, which Jason Day won, you know, forty yard fairways, huge greens, you know, it's it's again, it's just going to be exactly as Hazel Team was, yeah. flags in the middle of greens, no rough. Just Make you know, it's going to be boys. bombers paradise, bomber, bo- bomb and gouge. Mm. Although there won't need to be a lot of gouging because the fairways are so wide. And I, I just worry about the Ryder Cup from a spectacle perspective because yes, okay, we can all get excited about the crowds, we can get excited about the chanting, but when you're, if you're going to be getting Ryder Cups from here on in, where you know they're not actually that close, because the course setups are polar opposites. Each two years to the to the opposition strength, you, you're going to struggle to get close matches. No, it's I mean it's just an argument to back the home team forever yeah, and a day at this stage. But you know uh, I don't I watch Formula One anymore because Lewis Hamilton wins every week. It's boring, and I don't want that to happen with the Ryder mm. Cup. No, I saw a really good point made on Twitter. I can't remember who it was the other day, but they said why not get in an outside PGA, like the Australian PGA, to come in and be the, the head of course setup. Yeah. So 
the home advantage is they get to choose the course, obviously, and you've got your crowds, but the setup is more, uh, I don't know. Neutrality. Equal, I guess. There needs to be some neutrality in there, doesn't there? I I think so, um, because if we're going to start getting these seven point blowouts, um, it's it it kind of takes away from it as a, as a spectacle. And I did say last week that the result wasn't the be all and end all for me. It was the fact that I wanted to see exciting golf um, and a tight finish. Unfortunately, didn't get the tight finish, but the I thought the golf itself was very exciting to watch and. I thought the course was very interesting to watch that you know match play yeah. on. Um, possibly, you know, you can have a a few more options if the you know the fairways are widened out a bit. Um, in the roughest cut back, you know, you open up playing angles, but you know it, it was there in front of you, and I, I just I wish that the um, I wish a couple more of the U.S. players had played in France this yeah. summer. So we'd have a bigger sample size than just Justin Thomas for how he got on this week. If we'd had three or four of them play in the French Open and they'd all gone well this week, then that would be fairly damning and uh, slamming on Jim Furyk, who didn't seem very conv- uh, to have much conviction when he was talking about um, why you know his players not playing it in tournament conditions and saying, oh, it was fine that a, a, a good few of them came over and played it yeah. afterwards. Were you? I tell you, there were, there were a couple of Americans that stood up. I thought Simpson played very well, and we we knew he would do because he's got that kind of PGA National Players Championship kind of experience, isn't he? So he can play courses like the Golf National. Yeah, mm. Thomas clearly had a top ten there in the summer. We know again a PGA National winner at the Honda Classic. Um, he can find fairways, and he's just you know he's playing such great golf these days. And I think Bubba did well. You know, Bubba, Bubba earned a couple of points, didn't he? I think he, he played slightly better than was expected, but um, the, the one, the other one who stuck out to me um, in, in patches was Jordan Spieth. Um, yeah, his putting, you know, it wasn't universally improved. His game wasn't, you know, fantastic across the piece for the whole three days. But there were some decent patches in there where you looked at Spieth and thought, actually, this guy's not very far away from being at the top of his game again. No, I, I, I really admired his desire and fire over the weekend. Mm. I thought it was um, it was brilliant to see. Um, and it was it was genuine, whereas some of the other kind of passion you saw from the Americans didn't seem didn't seem genuine. It was almost seemed forced. Uh, I don't know if that's a slightly weird take, but um, himself, Thomas, were extremely impressive and about Tony you know, Fina if you could get that yeah yeah Fina was pretty good um, what is it about a couple of Tony? wobbles here he's and there but he's a clearly he's a yeah. high class operator Tony Fina and he's still only got one PGA to a victory it's bizarre yeah you, you, if you could add a couple of w- wins to his resume this year you know all of a sudden people will start giving him the credit because they rate winning so highly we can all see what an amazing golfer he is mm. And uh, if he keep if he keeps playing like this and putting himself in position, he will win. Um, willing to kind of put my you know, out on a limb here and say I think he wins twice this year. But does he need a more challenging about setup? six to one? Yeah, six to one. They'll have cut the price completely by the time he actually gets over the line. But yeah, does does he need a more challenging setup? Is this is this a symptom of where the PGA Tour is in terms of 
Um, you know, as you've described, these you know runway wide fairways and you know that's if what he's Butch going... Harmon was saying on Sky, wasn't it? He said there's there's virtually mm. no courses on the PGA Tour that test these players off the tee. Mm. Those, those are Butch Harmon's words. So it comes down to a putting, putting contest, then, doesn't it? And he said, he, you know, and it's true. You look at the U.S. Open, the last two, last two U.S. Opens, runway, you know, runway wide fairways again. But that's not. It's not okay. Not necessarily to to make it easy for bombers and gouges. There, we Shinnecock. They were trying to introduce playing angles yeah. to greens and 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 pushing people to play to certain you know parts of the fairway to give themselves optimal playing angles into the green. Which you know, I I think that's brilliant. If you give people you know, if you give people one shot only, then it's an execution contest. But um, if you give people playing angles and options, then that's when things start to get a little crazy um, because you introduce doubt to, to players' minds. So, you know, part of part of this week was maybe a little one-dimensional in that it was hit hit the fairies. That's that was it. Hit the fairies was so crucial to to performance to good performance this week. So, there's a small bit of disappointment in that. But you know, if you've got control of the course. Um, to give your to give your guys an advantage, why wouldn't you do that? Are Europe in a better spot for two years' time on the basis that there's going to be a lot more of the stronger Europeans actually playing the PJ Tour full time? You know, because you'd ex- you know Hatton's going to be a, an experienced campaigner out there by then. So is Fleetwood. You, you can expect the likes of a talented, you know, individual like Matt Wallace to p- potentially be on the PGA Tour out there by then. Where you know Thomas Peters as well is going to have two more years of, of American experience. We know that from his college background over in the states, he loves these classical golf courses out there, these long golf courses. So Peters in two years' time could be a real weapon again. Mm. So that that actually that adds up to a. To uh, I think a, a positive for Team Europe. Do we see though some of the more experienced campaigners potentially not being in the team in two years? That's a big. That's a possibility. You know, we could lose Stenson, Casey, Rose, Poulter. I mean, there's four, and Garcia possibly as well. There's five who we could lose and we're, are replacing with, like one. You know, guys with no appearances in the Ryder Cup, which. You know, to be honest, that the rookie thing for a Ryder Cup is kind of out the window to a certain extent this week. You know, and over the last few Ryder Cups, you know, Peters, Cosarts, uh, Fleetwood this this time round, Justin Thomas was a rookie this time round, won four mm. points. So, you know, these guys have enough experience on an international level that the Ryder Cup is just about, you know, can you handle yourself in that you know charged atmosphere? But yeah, I'd worry about the losing all that experience over the next two Ryder Cups from the European side. Depends what comes through. And you look at it in hindsight, did Bjorn pick the players that he picked to supplement his team um, on the strength of their experience or because they were the most, the players that fit the course setup that he knew he'd ordered? He knew that how it was going to play the best. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, if you're putting a Stenson in there, you're putting a, a, a Casey in there, um, you know the players that can find fairways. You're putting a Garcia in there. Mm. You know, oh, yeah. you, you know, yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly. You look at that team, it's a team of ball strikers for the for the most part. Yeah, there's a few exceptions in there, but for the most part, you'd say that the strength in the European team was its, its Tita Green prowess. And if you're going to a track that is uh, set up to reward Tita Green excellence, then you're on, onto, a, onto a winner there. What Going back to what Barry said right at the start, the, the, the challenge um, for anyone who was um, betting on it or trying to decipher what's going to happen is that it was very difficult to get any kind of view as to how, how difficult or how tough the track was going to set up um, before the event. And then we looked at it on, on the first day and it's like, okay, yeah, this is going to appeal to a tee to green um, metronomic type player. And... Francesco Molinari absolutely swept the floor with it, didn't he? Yeah, he absolutely cleaned up. I think well, we know. We, I think we know what we're going to get in America in. What would it be? One hundred and three week, yeah, weeks. Yeah, weeks time. <laughs> yeah, green green stimping at eighteen and a half. <laughs> you know, look, their their template is their template. It plays to their strengths, and we have ours. And I just hope the. Uh, divergence doesn't become too extreme that that, that we end up with these 17 10 or 17 11 kind of results yeah. you know every two years yeah, it does devalue it yes um, would be a shame yeah i mean that that said i thought this was a an, a brilliant rider cup to watch and you know the the golf national in terms of the architecture and, and all the natural amphitheaters or sorry not so natural amphitheaters but the hills around all the yeah. greens um it just looked brilliant and seemed to be so well executed uh, on a TV perspective. You know, just seeing the way the crowds were able to get there, you know, be around all the greens. I had some friends that were there and they said it was great. You could arrive late to a green and still find somewhere to watch. So, um, you know, there's, uh, it's just, it was, it was great to see. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't that super tight finish, but other than that, uh, that's going to be, uh, I'll remember that Ryder Cup. Yeah. No, it's good. And as you say, enjoyable as a spectacle is enjoyable, um, if not from a betting perspective. I think kudos, kudos you guys... to Tior Bjorn Olsen as well for winning his singles match against Jordan mm. Spieth. Yeah, that was, a, that, that was yeah. an anchor buster right there. <laughs> <laughs> right there. Can you imagine how the many multiples had Spieth in there? Oh, that's, oh he'll, he'll, he'll slaughter Olsen. Yep. Nope. Yeah, he's got yeah. a real weakness in singles, isn't he, Spieth? Yeah. He's he's zero and six now in Presidents Cup and Ryder yeah. Cup singles. That's uh, wow. That that's just shocking. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't believe that unless you saw the actual figures. No, and it's I mean a five and four defeat to Tiorbil. I mean that's a that's a that's a kicking. Right then, two decent tournaments this week. Uh, 2019, I know it sounds crazy, the 2019 PGA Tour season starts this week over in America. And we still have the 2018 season on the European Tour. That makes logical sense as we're in 2018. Um, And we have one of the highlights I always think of the European Tour. Uh, the Alfred Dunhill Lynx Championship, which takes place, of course, on the host course at St Andrews, the old course, but also a couple of uh, couple of uh, rounds around Carnoustie and also the Kings Barnes, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. So uh, I know that Paul, this is one of these tournaments that you've always wanted to uh, 
to crack, and you've come close on a few occasions. But you're in you're in super nick this year. So do you want to do you want to walk us through it? Your uh, strategy this week. Super nick, so no no pressure then. <laughs> super it, it, super nick. It is uh, it is one of these events that. Um, it's quite difficult to crack because it's a big field. It's 168 players. Um, it's a pro-am format, so it's slightly different to normal. Uh, the, the rounds here are painstakingly slow. So you're often talking six hours for a round. Um, and as you said, it's uh, it's played over three courses. They play Kings Barnes, uh, Carlos in St Andrews over the first three days. And then they played a final round at St Andrews um, with some slightly tougher pins. Um, but um, generally, the uh, the order of the day here is to make birdies. Even, even when it's a bit tougher, tougher conditions, doesn't tend to drag the scoring down a massive amount. So it's all about uh, making some red numbers um, over the course of the four days. Uh, we've got a few players who've hung about after the Ryder Cup. So we've got uh, Brooks Kepka, who's the favourite for this, 10-1. to 1. Um, And Brooks has played this a couple of times, even, even more than that, when he was over on the uh, European Tour. And finished ninth in 2014 and second in 2015. So he's got some practical experience of this. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood, 14 to 1. Uh, he's got a cracking record here as well. Uh, three top fives. And clearly um, played some fantastic golf last week uh, before coming unstuck against Tony Finnell in the final um, day in the uh, singles. Finnell's playing as well, 16 to 1. Um, it's his debut here. Then you've got the likes of uh, Tyrrell Hatton, who's going for a three-peat here, having won last year and the year before. So 16-1 to one against Hatton. So there's a lot of good players. I mean, further down from that, you've got the likes of Matt Fitz, Shane Lowry is playing well, um, Eddie Pepple, Chris Wood. Both of those guys have been playing some cracking golf recently. They've both come very close to adding more silverware in the last few weeks. Um, Olsen's a withdrawn... Um, Olsen has withdrawn from the event um, during the course of the day, so he's one that isn't on there anymore. But you got again. Is that because he's still going to be drunk <laughs> by Thursday? Well, this is one of the factors, <laughs> one of the things that you need to kind of factor into this is uh, how some of the guys are going to react. I've got a little bit of analysis, which I'll talk through in a second, as to uh, how players who've just come back from a, uh, a Ryder Cup on home soil have fared when. They've been presented with the Alfred Dunnell links the week after. Um, but yeah, just again, further down the list, you've got the likes of Oosthausen, Grace, Matt Kuchar's playing at 45 to 1, if you fancy a bit of that. Thomas Peters, Andy Sullivan. Ross Fisher, who's been the bridesmaid here for the last two years behind um, Tyrrell Hatton, 50 to 1. There's a lot of good players um, in this field and uh, some juicy prices as you go a bit further down. Um Again, this is as much about the professionals as it is the amateurs as well. So you know, we, we see this every year. A lot of the focus is on the uh, on the amateurs who go around. Uh, a lot of people from the world of sport. You got the likes of um, Rude Hullet and AP McCoy playing this year. Steve, Redmond. are you are you playing, Paul? No, I don't think. Um, I mean, some of these guys are barely kind of reaching hacker status, but I think me <laughs> taking a Taking a, a hack around Carnoustie wouldn't go down too well. <laughs> yeah, believe maybe, me, maybe. listeners, I've seen it. He's right. Maybe, maybe with a few. What about you, few... Barry, you'd be better for it, better for the task at hand, wouldn't you? You, you can imagine you being playing this. You wouldn't be able to get. You wouldn't be able to oh, get your tongue off the fairways. You'd just be walking <laughs> around. Oh. 
I, I'd have been there for the last four <laughs> weeks prepping at the you know, tour of Scotland, get, getting the links yeah, game in oh shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to be pretty well connected to uh, to get yourself a I spot. So. Uh, one of the hundred and sixty-eight spots in this yeah, event. Yeah, and possibly make some strong donations to charity as well. So it's a it's a double whammy that I don't have in my um, in my ammo case at the moment. One day, Barry. One day, Barry. When when you're a famous podcaster in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go for that. Um, just going through some of the winners here in the last few years. Um, you got the likes of. Oh, you got a bit of a mix actually in terms of winners and prices. You got the likes of Martin Keimer who won in twenty ten at sixteen to one, all the way through to Oliver Wilson in twenty fourteen who won at five hundred to one. Um, and trying to pick out the winners of this has proven quite a challenge in the past, I must say. Um, Thorburn Olsen won this at 200 to 1 in 2015 and that was a typical kind of Olsen win where he arrived with virtually no recent form whatsoever um, and then uh, produced the goods at 200 to 1 David Howe won at 125 to 1 Michael Hoey at 250 to 1 so there's um, for you guys who like a bit of um, long price action further down the list this is one of the events that you can really get stuck into um, and with a lot of the bookies going six, seven, and um, even eight places with Paddy Power this week, um, a fifth of the odds, um, it can often pay to take a little look down, play some each way wages, and um, see if you can pluck out one of those big long price uh, players who can contend, get a place, or potentially even win uh, at uh, this particular event. Now, a lot of the difficulty for this depends on the weather, as it often does with the Lynx card type track. And um, what we're seeing this week is a fair bit of wind, actually, on Thursday, probably 20 mile an hour average. So those guys who are playing some of the more exposed tracks, in fact, Kings Barnes is quite exposed. Um, and whilst it often plays quite easy when it's benign, that can be one of the more tricky tracks when it's um, particularly windy. Uh, but Carnoustie, as we know, is um, of the three... Uh, tracks on the rotation tends to be the one that plays the trickiest and uh, you really don't want to get caught out around there when the uh, conditions are tough so 20 mile an hour on Thursday kind of dips down a little bit Friday Saturday and then maybe 15 20 miles an hour on Sunday so I don't expect the scoring to get quite as low as it has the last couple of years when Hatton's won at 24 under last year and 23 under the year before but um, it's still likely to be um, birdies to be made but um, probably just to shave a a few shots off of those um, totals, I would have thought. Um, I talked about the past Ryder Cup, uh, returning Ryder Cup players a second ago. And if you look back at uh, 2002, uh, Paddy Harrington won here, having played uh, for the Ryder Cup team at the Belfry. Um, 2010, Martin Keimer won, having been part of the team at Celtic Manor. Uh, 2014, uh, Rory was second to Ollie Wilson um, at Glen Eagles. So, you know, Barrage mentioned about the guys turning up with, um, you know, very little sleep, um, a lot of uh, alcohol inside them over the course of Sunday, potentially. Um, focus not quite there, tired. But clearly in the past, some of the players have managed to get their heads around that very quickly and contend and ultimately win. Um, this event so if you're looking to strike people off just because they were 
playing in the Ryder Cup last week, then maybe not the best of ideas if you really fancy someone. Because um, clearly history has proven that um, it is more than possible. Other stat that I think was interesting here um, is that um, 13 of the 17 events played since 2001 have gone to a Great Britain and Ireland player. So a lot of the homegrown or local uh, players have done very well here. And actually that's how I've kind of formed my team this week. Um, I've steered away from the Americans who've stayed over despite the fact that you've got the likes of Brooks Kepka, who's clearly a massively talented player. Um, Tony Finau, we've talked about, you know, clearly massively talented. You've even got the likes of Kucho, who's um, clearly just stayed over to, uh, um, haven't been part of the entourage with the US, USA team. Um, also, I can't really go near the, the players that uh, uh, were involved at the top end of the European team either. It's... Yeah, for me, it, it it's tough to pick yourself up so quickly. I know the experience and the history suggests um, that it is possible, but um, you know, do we do we expect the likes of Tommy Fleetwood to jump straight back in the saddle this week? Can you see it? Can either of you guys see that happening? Uh, I don't know. I think there might be a bit of an adrenaline crash this for Tommy it, yeah. after this week. It's difficult, isn't it? Do you, do you know what? Actually, I'd say first round leader bet could be interesting on Tommy. He could get out of the blocks really hard, mm. hard, you know, hot on the wave of the Ryder Cup, and then kind of run out of steam a bit. It's another four days, and it's not just four days of you know normal uh, rounds. They're four long days. You know, six, six and a half hour rounds. If your patience is already you know waning a little bit, then by the end of Sunday it can just be an absolute tatters. So yeah, I, I, I again, notwithstanding what history suggests that these guys can and do contend and you know potentially win, um, I've steered away. Um, I published my preview earlier, um, and I've gone for five players this week. Um, of the, I know none of them are particularly short, but the shortest of the five is Matt Wallace. Now, um, I still think that he's being overpriced in terms of. You know, his odds are too long for, for this the kind of performances, the kind of wins that we're seeing from him. Um, I think he was very um, professional in the way that he's dealt with all of the press and the questions about being missed out or left out of the team. I think he's been very professional in the way that he's supported the Ryder Cup team over the last few days. Um, I think he'll have a bit of a reason to come out and try and perform this week and um, I think he'll see this as an opportunity firstly to get inside the OWGR top 50 he's currently sitting 59th um, but it's you know this is for, for me this is another one of those stepping stone events where you can go from a standard European tour event and you know Wallace is one of, one of the kind of accusations thrown at him as well you know these European tour events that is one of all been small events they're poor events the, the people he was playing against were you know they were just run-of-the-mill uh, European tour players this is a step up there's some top class world-class players playing this field um, there's a lot of OWGR points up for grabs. I can see Wallace turning around and really wanting to kind of prove a point here. Now, if you go back last year, he played, he finished 59th, I think it was, 
Um, but he was sixth at halfway and um, he had pulled out the week before with a wrist injury. He was struggling with his wrist. He was causing him a lot of pain this time last year. Um, and uh, he was sitting sixth at halfway. He'd already played Carnoustie. He'd shot five under there, three under at uh, St Andrews the first round. And then it all fell apart at uh, Kingsbarns, which um, is, you know, given it's often the third or the, the, the easiest or one of the two easiest tracks, it was a bit of a bit of a strange one, really. But perhaps he was really struggling with his wrist this time last year. Um, and, um, you know, he's, he's arriving now in much better form. He had his win recently, um, even on his last start, which fizzled out in the end. And um, he started at uh, Portugal with a 64 and a 67. Um, and was you know really right in the mix at the halfway stage, and I think with another week's worth of rest and a little bit of time to contemplate where he is, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him pop out of the uh, the blocks here and uh, put a decent performance in. And I thought fifty to one, given his um, winning prowess recently, was um, more than a fair price to uh, uh, to take Wallace at. Agreed. Um, That's a good bet. Yeah. I, He's almost getting to the point where if the price suits, he's almost an auto bet with any of these events that he's turning up to um, mm. because his winning ability is far superior to many of the players that he's playing against. Yeah. Um, another player I've backed is um, Project Harrington, um, twice a winner here. And um, I've got a link to a, um, a podcast that uh, that you pointed me in the direction of, Steve, which was very good. It's some very frank uh, discussion with uh, Harrington about where he is, where the state of his game is, where the state of his mind is, and what he thinks he can do in terms of... Um, He's, you know, if he's still competitive, if he can, if he can still compete at the highest level, and he, you know, at the age of forty-seven, he still thoroughly believes that he's capable of winning another major. He's more than capable of winning more events, and um, he's kind of shown that recently. He's, you know, he was second at the Czech Masters, had a real chance there. Fifth at the KLM Open, and um, what really stuck out to me at the KLM Open was that he hit eighty-seven and a half percent of greens and regulation. Now we know with Harrington that he's, you know, he doesn't hit many greens generally. His game is all about the short game, um, fantastic putter. When he's hitting nearly ninety percent of greens in regulation in any event, you've got to sit up and take note, because um, if he does that and combines it with a decent putting week, the guy's going to absolutely wipe the floor in an event. Absolutely wipe the floor. Then. So he's turning up to an event here that he's won twice in the past. We know about his Open Championship exploits in the past. We know what a, a good um, Lynx player he is. But uh, again, I, that when I look through his record, that for me is his best greens and regulation performance of his career that's been recorded. I couldn't find a better performance than what he produced at the uh, KLM Open a couple of weeks back. So again, if he can keep that long game... Uh, going find the putter could be a could be a very big week for for Padre. That's week. not an easy course either, is it, Denmark? Um, no, this uh, the Caroline was the um, was the one. Oh, in sorry, yeah, I'm, to- I'm talking about Holland. That's not that's, that's not the easiest of courses. No, to, no, no, absolutely. To hit tons no, no, of greens. No, no, no. no. Well, yeah, I, it's, I, no, it's no Kapalua, is it? Where you know no. ten thousand square feet greens. Absolutely, it's um, it, it was a real eye opener. So, uh, mm. so yes, uh, yeah, we'll see how he gets on. But I thought uh, eighty to one, which was an offer earlier on. There's a little bit of about uh, a little bit of eighty to one left right now 
and it's uh, quarter to seven on Monday evening. I thought that was a cracking price, I must say. Um, and then I finished it off with three long shots, which I'll rattle through quick. Um, Bradley Dredge, who's finished here second in the past, um, and he was fourth going into Sunday in 2015. Um, and he's been playing some decent golf recently. Um, there's always a worry with Dredge that when he gets himself in position, he can often fall away on a Sunday. But if you bear in mind, he has won twice. Both times he won by eight, eight clear shots. So clearly there are occasions that he can uh, get his game together where he's um, very uh, capable of, of getting over the line. Um, and uh, you know, most of the best of his work that he's done has been around uh, Great Britain and Ireland as well over the course of his career. So... I thought 100 to 1 with 8 places was worth taking on there. Um, Ollie Fisher, who shot 59 a couple of weeks back, um, he was 7th here last year. And um, I think often bookies will overlook those kind of short, sharp bursts of form and, uh, and you know price someone based on their longer term trend rather than you know someone who's potentially just peaking into some kind of form. Um, 200 to 1 was available earlier on I thought that was absolute bargain for someone who's just shot 59 yes he didn't do much after that in Portugal the two days after unsurprising really he was you know being asked to pose with a, a ball and uh, you know scribbling 59 and signatures and everything that he was doing for the rest of the weekend um, it was uh, a fantastic round and I think he, he may well find he, he can keep that going over the course of uh, course of this week because like I say seventh last year um, I've got 200 to 1 with 7 places repeat of that would be an absolute uh, well, a decent week I'll give you that um, and finally Mark Warren is my final pick for this week um, and this is a kind of guy that whenever he turns up in Scotland you've just got to consider him his record in Scotland full stop is fantastic uh, one in Glen Eagles earlier in his career he's got three top four finishes in the Scottish Open three top five finishes here and he's been top five over the last two seasons as well and um, on the face of it his current form isn't great but then if you look into um, the detail of it he was third going into the final day at the North Day of Masters uh, last month he shot a 64 in round two of the Portugal Masters so there's snippets of form there and whenever he finds form it does often tend to be um, on home soil so uh, 160 to 1 was the price I got on Mark Warren earlier um, so yeah they're, they're my five that I'll be going into bat with this week any fancies from yourself Barry? Uh, yeah I have a couple um, which I kind of got bullied into by <laughs> you I wasn't going <laughs> to yeah blame me send me the bill on Monday yeah yeah yeah, or or SNG or cut. Um, I I really enjoyed the Alfred Dunhill more so than the Pebble Beach Pro Am. I don't know why. It's probably because it's on links courses mm. and we you know three really great links courses. So it's like maybe the like the last kind of hurrah for seeing links. You know before next season so on TV at yeah. least. So, it must be a great tournament to go and watch because you can get so close to some absolute elite golfers. Yeah, I'd say so, and, and I, I doubt the crowds are going to be insane no, no, at this no, time no, of year in Scotland. So yeah, uh, wrap up warm, and uh, yeah, it wouldn't be a bad one to actually go visit. See, can I just sneak in? Just bring my clubs and just like stand on the first tee and just see what happens. <laughs> I might get a pro. That that could be my way in there, Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's mm. more likely. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, first pick for me is Eric Van Royen. Uh, he was playing pretty nicely recently. Um, I also took a little look back to the Open Championship, and he was, uh, where are we? In, his, in, in the top 20 um, at Carnoustie. So, I've paired that up uh, with other previous links form. Um, you know, had a good chance, great chance to win the Irish Open mm -hmm. this year, and uh, unfortunately just didn't make that happen. So, you know, all those kind of came together quite nicely into a sixty to one price. And he seems like the kind of chilled out, relaxed, kind of funny character that will be able to handle these long waits on tee boxes and just kind of entertain yeah. himself. He's very close, Van so, Very close. He'll break through um, sooner rather than later. This week, this week, Paul, <laughs> make it happen. Um, the uh, another one I've added is um, Brandon Stone. Mm. Um, I think he's a he's a quality golfer. He has a win there about three months yeah. back. Fifteenth uh, at this last uh, last time out. Um, had a top ten there two weeks ago um, albeit on a secondary tour so um, yeah Brandon Stone 66 to 1 you kind of in that uh, starting to get the nice price point you know where I kind of you want to just hit the, a nice win yeah. so uh, good one for me yeah uh, and you can, you can also kind of nip in and get a little bit of advice from Louis Oosthuizen who's very experienced up at this event and South Africans and links are kind of synonymous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Well, he also finished 12th at the uh, USPGA, uh, Brandon Stone, which um, in the context of this field, um, or in the context of European Tour, uh, golf full stops, a fantastic effort. So, yeah, it, that uh, Scottish Open win was uh, with another one of these fantastic flying rounds, wasn't it? He was uh, another one who threatened 59 with that round. So, uh, yeah, Ponta... Can't dispute either of those. Van Royen played some fantastic golf at the Open Championship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, happy with you on that. Um, continuing the South African angle, I have two more. Um, of Hayden Porteous, just been on a cracking run of uh, golf. Um, top forties in his last six outings. Um, and four, four of those, or sorry, three of those are top twenties. So. Added to that a 15th in this last year at 125 to 1, I couldn't let him go. So, little bet on him. And um, my uh, partisan bet for the week is Paul Dunn. Um, hoping the return up here. Uh, he's got a good, good results in this event 19th, 25th, and a 7th last year. Hoping the return to this can kind of kick him out of whatever funk he's in at the moment. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the driver we've done from what I've been seeing recently. He's, he's really been struggling to find a fairway. Um, and he, his recovery game is so strong that he doesn't need to find yeah. a, a massive amount. He's not, he's not one of these players who needs to find 60 or 70% of fairways. If he's finding 50%, he can be dangerous. But he's, he's just been down in the 20s and 30s, which um, you know, must be massively frustrating for him. Um I, I, I watch him closely because he's one of my one of my favourite players. Done, um, and when when I see a spark that I think is going to uh, is going to manifest itself into something, um, I, you know, he's got to be backed. But um, perhaps you're right. Perhaps what he'll find here is that the, particularly with the um, uh, with the likes of St Andrews, where the fairways are, uh, you know, are, are going to help him because of the width. That, um, that he can get away with some of his driving, or perhaps he's straightened it out in the last uh, last couple of weeks. We shall see. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's got really great vibes having led the Open mm. at St. Andrews. Um, so, and then, obviously, from this tournament for the, the last three times, he's teed it up here. So, yeah, just hoping something like that, you know, that the biorhythm of getting back there can kind of kick him out of uh, out of whatever shit he's going through. And hopefully things start to just, you know, pick up and he finds confidence and starts going at it. And short game around here um, will obviously help in windy conditions and he is razor sharp so uh, 80, to, 80 to 1 on him um, I'll be cheering it all the way home if we get 80 to 1 on Dunner I think um, that him losing to Ram in the Spanish Open earlier this year that was a real a real body blow to him yeah, um, yeah it was just I mean, if he'd won that who knows where he could be at this stage but um, yeah so hopefully this will be the week that turns it around for him no if, if that's right, there's a, there's a big old price on Dunham, I'd say. Big old price. I think that's the that's, that's the Dunham links then, Steve, unless you've got any uh, um, anything to add yourself. Me, I'm I'm balls deep in the Safeway Open, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and there is the explicit warning. <laughs> no, footballs. Footballs. <laughs> yeah, not I saying always, that one, Steve. Um, Go for it. <laughs> The start of the PGA Tour, it's always exciting, um, but it's always a bit strange when it's two weeks after the close of the previous uh, Tour Championship. But that's going to change this year because uh, the season will end in the last week of August. I've actually done a, um, a summary at the start of this, this uh, week's uh, preview about what the new season looks like. I mean, we, we've got a seriously changed schedule for 20, uh, 2018 stroke 19. Uh, 46 tournaments as opposed to uh, 49 last year. Uh, the Players' Championship moves from May to March, creating a four-week Florida swing. The PGA Championship moves from August to May meaning that the four major championships are going to be contained within a 14-week window. Can you believe that? Mm. All four majors within 14 weeks in 2019. It's going to be a hectic period. Does that make it, does that make it easier to get a Grand Slam? You get hot for two or three months? Yeah, potentially, yeah. Potentially. Right, super long shot, but yeah, just, just spitballing ideas mm. here. The FedEx St. Jude becomes a WGC Invitational, replacing the Bridgestone. That's going to take place a week after the Open Championship. And of course, the Open Championship is going to be played in Royal Port Rush. They're all then going to jump on private jets and a charter plane and go all the way over to... Uh, they're going to go down to Tennessee, isn't it? Or Memphis. Memphis mm -hmm. for, the, um, for, the la for the WGC, FedEx St. Jude. And then there are some new tournaments as well. The Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit and the 3M Open in Minnesota. So it all comes to a completion with a three-legged FedEx Cup playoffs, which next year consists of the Northern Trust at Liberty National, the uh, BMW Championship at Medina. Clearly that's, uh, that's had majors in the past. And then the 30-man Tour Championship, which is now going to f now going to uh, feature this staggered leaderboard from the outset. Mm. So how we tackle that from a betting perspective, heaven only knows. I might take that week off and go on holiday. 
<laughs> I think that'd probably be the uh, the best option. But it all kicks off this week with a 2018 Safeway Open, which for the fifth renewal is being played at the Silverado Country Club, which is played in Napa in California. So half of the players are half cut on a bit of red and a bit of white, I expect, uh, as it's clearly the uh, the wine country of America. I think this could be a tournament we should go to, boys. Wait, wait to kick off the uh, season over the Safeway. That and Phoenix. Bit of white, yeah. Bit of wine tasting. I think Phoenix is at the other end of the extremes in terms of uh, uh, PJ Tour tournaments. So what what we tend to get at the Safeway Open. I mean, last year had a really good field actually, and it's it's had Rory McIlroy in the past. It's had Justin Rose. Uh, and this year is a bit of a disappointment. I mean, Patrick Cantlay heads the betting at fourteen to one, Schnedeker at twenty twos, Ryan Moore at twenty fives, Phil Mickelson at twenty fives. Then we have Joachim Neem and the Vunderkind at thirty threes, alongside Grio Hadwin, and then we're out to the likes of Bo Hosler, Denny McCarthy, who's on a tear on the web dot com, uh, Brandon Steele, who's going for a three peat, the twenty sixteen. And 2017 winner around here. Uh, and the likes of Abraham Anser, who played so well at, in Boston. Peter Uline and Sang Moon Bay Luke List. Those are the kind of golfers we're dealing with this week. So effectively, I kind of see it as a... It's a poor, it's a poor PGA Tour event and it's a strong web.com. And of course, with a lot of these young, vibrant web.com graduates hitting the PGA Tour for the first time this week. It's a it's a it's a kind of, it's a very interesting mix I think of players that are that are playing this week. Um so when you look at some of the prices at the top end, I mean we are looking at a particularly weak tournament in terms of a full status PGA Tour event. That needs to be borne in mind, I think. Um Silverado, classical golf course, old style course, um actually uh, designed by Trent Jones Jr. in 1966. It's had a Johnny Miller redesign. Johnny Miller, um, still part of the um, of the club here at Silverado Country Club, and they actually their long term aim is to get Silverado into a, a major of some kind. It's not an overly difficult course. Uh, rank difficulties recently. Uh, we had 2016. It was 36 out of 50 courses. 2017. It was 23 of 51, so pretty much straight down the middle. The characteristics of the course, though, are very, very interesting. We're talking particularly f- thin fairways. So at 300 yards, we're looking 20 yards thin. Now, that equates to kind of East Lake in terms of driving difficulty. And if you look at it as opposed to, say, an Arona Mink and a TPC Boston a few weeks ago in the, in the uh, FedEx Cup playoff series... Those were you were looking at thirty-eight yard wide fairways at Aronimink and thirty-five yard fairways uh, wide fairways at TPC Boston. So this course is very very tight. Now the penalty um, around here isn't so much difficulty that we saw at Le Golf National last week, but you get a lot of blocked tee shots because trees encroach on the fairways. And your penalty tends to be the fact that you can't attack your second. And around here, you need to be shooting quite low scores. So 
previous winners around here. Brent, Brendan Steele won at 15 under last year. Year before that, 18 under. Griot's won at 15 under. Sangwin Bay at 15 under. So we're looking, it's a typical PGA Tour kind of mid-score that we're looking at. Something around that 15 to 16 to 18 under par. So any any kind of player shooting straight 68s this week, 67s is going to be right in the mix come Sunday. Course conditions. It tends to be quite dry around here, hence why it's vineyard country. But it looks like overnight tonight, there's going to be a, a serious drenching, four to five hour drenching. Um, Monday morning going into uh, Monday night going into Tuesday morning over there in California. So I'm expecting to see quite soft conditions for the opening round on Thursday. Just a tip for first round leader betters here as well. Um, we had Duncan, Hoagie and Steele shoot 7 under 65s last year. They were all AM starters. Scott Pearcey in 2016 shot 10 under here. He was an AM starter. Brandon Steele in 2015 shot 8 under, 64. He was also an AM starter. So just bear that in mind. You tend to get some breeze kicking up here in the afternoon. Nothing major, but just enough to keep you know take the edge off this, the low scoring, which tends to take place in the mornings around here. Um, first round leader prices from last year were 125 to 1, 100 to 1, and 45 to 1 for Brandon Steele. He does like a, a fast start around here. So, course, not overly onerous in terms of its difficulty, but for me, you just look at those names of the winners here Steele times two, Griot. For, you know, for me, they're ball strikers, they're players that are accurate off the tee. They're long enough to be dangerous off the tee. They're also aggressive when it comes to uh, players that like to attack shorter par five, shorter par fours, and make birdie or better when they do go for the green. So I'm looking for good, straight drivers, longer drivers if possible, and players that are aggressive in their mentality to actually be aggressive on those scorable, shorter par fives and the, uh, the par fours that are available. Just one other thing here, just one other trend that I pointed out to Paul uh, a couple of days ago around this one. If you actually look at this first event after the Tour Championship, and I'm going back to the Viking Classic in 2010. Now, 2010, 11, 12 and 13 was when we were dealing with the Fall Series, so effectively it was still the same season. But uh, they had the Fall Series events so that you know, players were fighting for top 125 to keep their cards. From 2014 onwards, we've had this... We've had this split season. But just these are the OWGR rankings of the winners of the first event after the Tour Championship. Haas was 89th in the world. Kevin Nahr at the Shriners Open was 76th. Ryan Moore was 44th in 2012. Jimmy Walker was 66th in 2013. Sang Moon Bay is an outlier. He was 195th when he won this back in 2014. And then if we come back, Griot was 72nd in the world. Brendan Steele was 88th, and Brendan Steele again in 2017 was 59th. So, you know, there's a trend there for players that are trying to force their way or keep their top 50 position in the world, and with all the goodies that go with that. You know, WGC starts next year, invites to the Masters, invites to the US Open and the PGA Championship, all the goodies that go 
with a top 50 place at the turn of the season. So that's something I'm bearing in mind uh, with some of my tips this week. Now, there's a huge mix of players as we discussed in terms of some, uh, some great web.com graduates that are coming in. I'm going to just shout some names out there. I can't fit them all into my tips this week, but there's a couple of names that really do jump out. Um, I'm going to piss Barry off here. Because I know Barry's interested in a couple of these. But actually, that's good for the listeners. Because if I'm involved and you're involved, Barry, that's a... that's a <laughs> Then don't go don't near it if you're listening. <laughs> I think Anders Albertson's interesting at 125 to 1 with Unibet. Uh, they're going six places each way this week of 50 odds. They've got some real outlier prices. Albertson was second at the Boise Open a few weeks ago, which is a decent tournament in terms of linking into this. Uh, another one I do like the look of, and I'm just wondering if he's going to sneak it into the last uh, tip in my preview that's going to go out early tomorrow morning, is Kramer Hickok, who, um, housemate of Jordan Spieth, he's playing some outstanding golf right now, is Kramer Hickok. And it's not just that that I like him for, although that's that's clearly um, a very, very strong positive for me. It's just the way that he plays golf. Um, just, an out, just to outline, I've, my, um, my windows, my skill windows that I keep, um, they previously have been 10 weeks rolling. I've cut them to eight weeks for this season. And just bear that in mind. I just think I'm trying to keep it at just a little bit more recency in terms of those numbers. But Kramer Hickok, he sits second in driving accuracy this week in my uh, uh, eight-week window. And he also sits uh, 15th in greens in regulation. And that are the kind of numbers that I was seeing last year for Tyler Duncan who actually grabbed an each-way place here at 250-1. to one, And I believe he was the 36 and the 54-hole leader. So that kind of accuracy off the tee and that kind of metronomic greens in regulation is something that's very, very attractive at this week's tournament. So I think Kramer Hickok, at, uh, I'm seeing him as large as 100-1 to one this week, again with Unibet is potentially someone that we might uh, want to be backing at a bigger price. Are there any players that you guys fancy at big, big prices this week? I'll, I'll lead you in there, Barry, because I know that you've got some players that you like at triple digits. Well, you've just saved me some time with the two boys. Um, I'm on, I've already backed Albertson and uh, Kramer Hickok on... Um, I actually went with 888 Sports. 888 and Unibet take the... Um, they have the same odds. I think they get them from an agency yeah. or something along those yeah, lines. Um, so, yeah, I got Kramer at one hundred to one and Albertson at one hundred and twenty-five to one. Um, just yeah, their stats lining up um, kind of jumped off the, out the uh, off the page at me, and um, you know, hoping to to land a big fish be nice. <laughs> or in terms of odds, uh, it's been a while, so. Why not the first tournament of the season? But get off with a bang. Um, there's a couple of others. I won't go into any of the reasons uh, why I backed them because you've you've gone through them all there, Steve. So um, I've also backed uh, Sung J Im. Yeah, he's a talented lad. Uh, 
Yes. So he he popped up on your little. Uh, he um, he was the yeah he's, he's, he he uh, he was number one, wasn't he, for the regular season on the web.com. So that, so they yeah. have twenty five uh, players that get promoted, don't they, across the season? He was he was number one. I think two wins last year from him. Yeah, so and you gotta love. So he's you know he's also his driving accuracy. He's in your top twenty there. He's just a tied nineteenth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know putting's not massively important this week, but you know it is the PGA Tour and it helps to be putting well. He's fifth in your putting average in uh, putts per GIR. So I couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't let him go. He was at a hundred to one as well. Um, and finally, one who I'm just a fan of, um, having seen him a good bit uh, doing some content with No Laying Up. Um, seems like a great guy, so it's more like a fan bet than any massive logic behind it in terms of a course fit. He's been playing very well recently. Um, his greens and driving stats aren't massive. He's, you know, last year uh, driving accuracy was 119th on the web.com tour, and greens and reg was 89th. Uh, but he's a bit of a putting machine, and he's been playing very well recently. It's Curtis yeah. Look, talented Australian. There's him and um, Cameron Davis, isn't there? That both got promoted off the web.com. Yeah, so you know he's had a lot of very good results recently. His like, last four results are sixth, fifth, twenty-fourth, and eighth in the web.com tour finals. I heard an interview, uh, in the tour championship, so. interview with Jeff Ogilvie about. Um, young talented Australians that are coming out of the ranks yeah and Cameron Davis he said was a particularly powerful brash you know beast you know muscle high GIR kind of contender who can bang it ridiculous lengths where Curtis Luck is more old style plays classical courses Real ball really shaper. well yeah outstanding ball shaper so yeah that kind of ties in with Silverado yeah, so those are my uh, those are my bets for the week. Um, all long shots. So you know, let's start the year of the bomb. I try and add a new yeah, yeah the bomb bet, the the bomb. I try and add a new section to my previews every uh, season and start of this season. I've added strokes gain tournament trends. So I've taken the three most recent winners, Grio, Steel, Steel, and just looked at what they did and averaged them out across the three tournaments. So these are the numbers: strokes gained off the tee. Um, at they were thir- they averaged out at thirteenth in the field, strokes gained approach fourth, strokes gained around the green thirty first, strokes gained tee to green fourth, strokes gained putting. I don't think we're going to see this too often this season, but it does give us a a kind of sign of where we're at thirty second. So they yeah. were pretty much halfway in the field for strokes gained putting. But they were four. Yeah. yeah, it's it's tee to green excellence around it. T to green and have a, an adequate week on the on the greens and um, yeah. get yourself and a into little, a mix. A little bit of power off the tee. Hmm. Right, the three that I'm definitely putting in my preview. Right, I'll go in reverse order because the the the, uh, the shortest odds is just going to appall everybody. But I'm going for. 100 to 1, eight places each way with Paddy Power. That's a market leading price. Bronson Bagoon. I do like Bagoon. Um, he's got some decent form in the Boys Open, which is something I always like. You know, I'm seeing people that play well at 
Boise, like Scott Pearce, who's got a third here. Steele himself done well at Boise. He's had a top 10 there when he was on the web.com. Um, Bagoon had a, a, a ninth there in 2015. I don't know if you remember Bagoon. He had a decent kind of end to the season last year. Um, he was the guy that went out with Tiger Woods at Tiger's tournament and finished sixth. He, he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with... Um, with Tiger. I think Tiger finished second or third in that tournament in the end and Bagoon was drawn with him and shot a decent round to eventually finish sixth Bagoon. Um, he all then went to the John Deere Classic and finished second to Michael Kim. Uh, he shot 19 under. And the thing I do like about Bagoon as well, he was 11th at the Northern Trust, the first uh, the first um, of the four-legged FedEx Cup playoffs a few weeks ago. So clearly, he's not scared of mixing it with top players. Um, he's not scared also of attacking. He's, he's 31st for going for the green last season. And when he does actually go for the green, he was in the top 60 for birdie or better. And that's a key stat for me. Hitting lots and lots of fairways at the moment and very, very adequate amounts of greens. And when he played here last year... Uh, Bagoon, I think, let me just check this before I say it, he was uh, fifth, where was he? He was. He eventually finished 17th, but he was 11th after 54 holes. So on the basis, he's got another year of the PGA Tour under his belt. Um, he's been mixing it at, at much higher levels and performing very well. I just think that 100 to 1 on Bagoon is a good price. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to like there. I just going looking at his um, his performance here last year. That was off the back of two straight uh, big performances on the web.com as well. So yeah. you know, for for him to produce a top twenty on his on that first PGA Tour outing, um, as you say, it was not without a chance of getting a decent uh, decent place at least going into the final. If way. you're if you're finishing eleventh in a web.com uh, in a in a um, PGA Tour playoff event last month you're playing some decent golf right now and you're not you're not yep. scared to mix it with some very big names are you so i think bagoon's an interesting one for me mm. at 100 to 1 i wasn't expecting to get triple digits so i'm happy to see that yeah um at a shorter price this guy's been in my in my preview in my tips for a long time ever since he won the boise open and that is 2014 winner here sang moon bay and i think bay's story is just absolutely phenomenal um you listen to this. He won here in 2014 and clearly South Korean player who qualified for the 2015 Tour Championship. And at that time was ranked 85th in the world. He then played for the international team in the President's Cup, played in South Korea, winning an incredible two and a half points before putting down his clubs and starting two years of military service as a rifleman. I mean, if that was some kind of Hollywood movie, you'd say it was too far-fetched to actually put on the, on the screen, you know? But it happened. He tried to buy his way out of it and do whatever he could legally, but out there, you have to do your military service. So he did it. And since then, of course, he came back, I think, 12 months ago and started playing in Korea. Then he came back and played here, missed the cut. But, you know, to take two years out of pro golf, it's going to take time to get back. He, they, the PJ Tour gave him a major, major medical extension which was good of them. 
And slowly but surely, we've started to see him playing better. He played well in Korea at the end of July and into August. He then made a cut at the Wyndham Championship, where he started to putt a lot better. Dropped down to the web.com, even though he didn't have to. 35th at the Nationwide Children's Hospital Championship. He was then 6th at the DAP Championship. And he went and won the Boise Open. He just he, it shouts to me at fifty to one. He was as big as sixty to one earlier. I just do like the look of Sangmu Bay, who's played well at Riviera, regularly well. Eight couple of eights and a thirteenth in his last three apps at Riviera. Again, bent grass. We're looking bent grass Poana greens mix this week, so he's not afraid to putt on Poana. That win in Boise, guess what? That was on Poana Greens, pure. Um, he's just comfortable on that surface, and I can see him going again very well this week. Hmm. He's a high-quality player, Bay. Oh, he can clearly play the course well as well. You know, as you say, previous winner is there's no there's no question that whatsoever. And finally, if we're looking for going for you know players that are very aggressive, um, this guy ranks second in the field. If we're going for players... Uh, sorry, he ranks second in the field, fourth in the season. Um, he's also very, very good with wedges in terms of the regularity that he, he hits green. So any kind of distance from 125 to 150 yards, you're going to have a lot of those approaches this week. He's metronomic. Hits 22nd last season for that distance with his wedges for greens and regulation. He's ranked 22nd in the world. Um, he's been playing okay recently. Shot a 64 in the Tour Championship round two. He's actually fourth at halfway at the Tour Championship. Also at the uh, Northern Trust, uh, he shot a 67 and he finished in the top eight there at that. I'm covering off this week. And we see this year in, year, year out here. Paul Casey was a favourite here in the past, finished third. Tony Finau was favourite here last year. Finished second, one shot behind the winner. I just cannot see Patrick Cantley going extremely close this week. And yes, we would have all liked 40 or 50 to 1 about him, but he's not. you're not going to get that in a field of this ilk and the way that he's playing at the moment. I just think Cantley is the perfect fit for this golf course. So I'm going to cover him off at 14 to 1. For me... I cannot see a circumstance where he's not going to finish in the top seven or eight this week, just purely because of the strength of the field and the way that he's playing and the, the way that the course will set up for him. He's Californian, went to UCLA, um, plays well on Poana Greens, fourth at Riviera this year, which is a really good indicator for this course. So I'm going for the favourite and covering him off. Uh, 14 to 1, Coral seven places each way of 50 odds on Patrick Cantlay. So those are the three that are definitely in my preview, which is going to be available tomorrow morning. I might just keep it to those three. Um, I might squeeze in a fourth. I mean, I'm bigging up Kramer Hickok. So um, if anyone might go, and it might be him. There is one who does fit the bill from an OWGR perspective and is ranked first on the PGA Tour for going for the green in terms of his aggressiveness. And I know you're very interested in him, in Paul. That is the enigma that is Luke List. I think yeah. 50, 50 to 1 is very tempting on Luke List. I, I, I was surprised. Um, well, perhaps not. I know he's, he's not, been, not been great. But, um, you know, go back 
to the kind of early part of uh, 2017 and he was he was half that price in far stronger fields than this mm. and the, the way that you've described the requirements for this track that you know looking at the likes of the previous winners and the, how their game fits um, Luke List seems to fit very nicely for me um, and 50 to 1 seems like a, a a fair price to take on that he's going to going to find um, the Pato is going to find a decent Sunday um, and, uh, and get himself into position to win uh, an event that I think you know he's, he's more than capable of doing so yeah yeah Luke List is uh, one one that I um, fancy I've, I've backed one other at um, mad long prices on the exchange which was Sepp Stracker or Sepp Stracker our Austrian buddy yeah yeah, not entirely sure, sure how you'd pronounce his surname. I'm sure I'll get uh, corrected at some point soon enough. Uh, but yeah, he was third at the Web.com Tour Championship. Um, he topped table driving that week. He topped ball striking that week. Um, he won the KC Golf Classic on the Web.com in August as well. And if you look at his ball striking for the full season on the Web.com, he's, he finished eighth for ball striking for the full season, which um, clearly is going to be a, a strong asset to have around here. And also, he's playing well. Um, as I said, he led, it, led going into the final round at the Web.com Tour Championship. Didn't quite happen in the final round, but uh, he's got his full card for this year. Um, he would seem to fit quite nicely. I mean, looking back through his record as well, he finished seventh. He came came over to the um, to the Leonos, Leoness Open on the European Tour and finished seventh in 2017 last year. And if you're looking at the kind of player that does well at the Leoness, it's one of these players who is strong from tee to green, it's got a good GIR game. Um, you know, you've got the likes of Joost Lauten have won there, you've got the likes of um, Bernd Wiesberger. And if you're looking for someone that is of that similar kind of ilk, then uh, potentially this guy, Stracker, could be the uh, could be the one. Um, he was second going into the final day there, lost out in the end to... Um, Dylan Fratelli, I think it was, he won in, won in the end that, that week. But again, the mm. correlations there are quite strong. Yeah, um, I looked at Fratelli and I noticed he won that Leoness Open. And mm. from what you've told me, it's ball striker heaven. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, Absolutely. I can see that, I can see that. But uh, yeah, I thought it's um, worth taking on at uh, 300 on the machine earlier on. And you get slightly less than that. There's still some decent prices in the kind of 200 to 1 bracket against uh, Stracker. If you want to go each way on it, it's funny because we've had a couple of big prices. Um, they've come hot out the, of the web.com. Tyler Duncan last year, as we said, 250 to 1, he placed. Hmm. His form had been fifth in Boise, miscut at the DAP, 12th at the web.com tour championship. He was fourth after 54 holes. And our, own, our old friend back in 2015, Tyrone Van Askeren. Mm-hmm. who was 22nd, 69th, 39th. He then went to the Web.com Tour Championship, was 5th overall, 5th at 54 holes, came here and finished 3rd. I mean, that was a crazy 300 to 1. Yeah, it does happen. So it does, it does happen. And if you're going to go for one of these graduates, one of those crazy price graduates is probably the way to go. Mm. Yeah, I'm surprised that... Apart from that, we've had uh, Chesson Hadley, who was third here last year, but Hadley had already won on the PGA Tour. And we had, of course, Emilio, em, Emiliano Grio, who won the Web.com Tour Championship, came here won this. And yeah. you couldn't really call him a rookie of any kind because he'd, he'd clearly played well on the European Tour and had been you know, playing at a high level already. Mm. 
So if you're going to go for one of these wild and wacky web.com guys, someone like Stracker at a big price, I mean, I'm seeing him out at 200 to 1, you know, with some of the layers out there, 225 to 1 with Bet365, that is not a bad angle to take it from. Yeah, I quite like that. It's almost a certainty that one of these guys from the web.com is going to finish in the places this week. There's just, you know, there's 25 of them, or sorry, there's 50 of them coming in off the web.com from the, the regular season and then the, the postseason. Yeah. You know, a lot of them are playing very high-level competitive golf, and they're coming into a field that's not intimidatingly strong in terms of PGA Tour yeah. strength. They're going to fancy yeah. it. And some of them are playing seriously good golf with great course links, as you've pointed out. It's just, can can you pin the tail on the right donkey? <laughs> as always. <laughs> uh, and, and they won't be a donkey, obviously, if they do it, but I'm just looking for an appropriate mm. metaphor. It's just, yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully one of us has struck gold there. Fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a, it's a, another good week of uh, golf betting. Um, we also, just before we finish, we had um, a, an amazing amount of downloads for the Ryder Cup podcast last week. So thank you to all listeners for that. As we always said, spread the word. Tell your friends over a pint down the pub. Um, let's get this podcast growing as we move into 2019. Get those uh, download numbers and those listener numbers increasing. Thank you for your time, gentlemen. We've all got um, things to be getting on with that are better than talking into these microphones on this Monday evening. We will be back again next week. Have you got Italy next week, Paul? Um, Italian Open? No, I don't know. The Italian Open was earlier in the Oh, it was. They moved it. What have you got next week? Uh, Now you throw me. My brain brain only works from one week to another. Um, We've got the CJ Cup on the PGA Tour while Paul's thinking about it. It's the it's, it's the British Masters next week. Yeah, oh, British of course, Walton Heath, British Masters. Yeah. How can I forget? Mm-hmm. Yep. So again, um, two attractive tournaments to uh, to look into next week. Thank you for your time, gentlemen. And take we care. Take, Cheers, take care of yourselves, and we will see you again very soon for the uh, Golf Betting System podcast. Thank you. Good night. <laughs>